Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Engineer turned entrepreneur Bree Carroll is the founder and CEO of B. Carroll Events, LLC, and she is passionate about helping business owners, thought leaders, and nonprofit organizations to leverage the power of events in order to grow. Bree has a background in civil engineering, and she is a military spouse as well for the past nine years and so much more. You actually studied civil engineering and you were a civil engineer, right, Bree? Absolutely. And Emily, let me just thank you for having me on here. I love your platform. I love that you are shining a light on women in more male dominant fields. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity of uh, working as a civil engineer for over 11 years with the Air Force. See, when I first booked you for the podcast, I knew you had been a civil engineer. Um, yeah. But I thought, you know, our audience really needs to hear about event planning as a strategy. So I, I that's why I originally yes. invited you. But you we'll actually talk have, both. We'll yeah, talk both for sure. This big, this big back, long background. So tell us, so you were a civil engineer in the Air Force. What? Rock us along your path. How you started in just studying civil engineering in college? How did you? Yeah. So I'll actually take you guys all the way back to uh, growing up in Patterson, New Jersey. That's really close to New York for anyone who's not uh, familiar with the area. And just being an inner city youth, I'm really excited and grateful that my parents exposed me to a lot of different things. Back then, I struggled with determining if I was going to go the path of the arts because I played piano and dance, but I had a really um, big heart and felt called to STEM. And I absolutely mm -hmm. love science and problem solving. My uncle actually was an engineer for Purdue. So I did have that proximity of seeing someone else who was in the engineering field. And I got caught in this crossroads, if you will, of yeah. going to the performing arts high school or the new academy that was actually being supported by NASA. And um, it was a STEM academy that was just developing in uh, my town. And one of my um, one of the people, my my mentors from afar, Dr. Mae Jemison, if anyone who's not familiar, she's the first African-American astronaut to enter space. And I absolutely loved her story and her biography. She actually had the same uh, dilemma. She danced as well, mm -hmm. but she had this passion for STEM and her mom uh, made a pretty profound statement that kind of said something along the lines of, uh, you can be a scientist that dances, but you can't necessarily be a dancer who who does this level of science and this body of work. And that gave me my answer, even as a high school girl who was like, which path do I take? So looking at uh, my mentor from afar, I kind of followed in her footsteps. I went to um, Panther Academy, which was a STEM um, high school, still a public school, but you had to get accepted in. My sophomore year, there was a big coverage because we were actually going to space camp in Huntsville, Alabama, which was like one of the perks of going to the high school. Um, 
and we had a planetarium that was constructed a part of our high school. So a, a lot of a lot of uh, ladies in the STEM Incredible. field came out of that academy because of that proximity, because of the experiences that we had. Um, all of the the masks that maybe some avoid in high school were not uh, they were not suggestions they were requirements for us so um, early on I really did enjoy um, just learning more about problem solving I think that's what really drew me to engineering um, mm -hmm. from high school I actually went to North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University that's a historically black college and the reason why I went there is because it actually graduates uh, the most uh, African-American engineers so wow. uh, Ronald E. McNair another astronaut he actually went to that school um, and, and the building that I studied engineering was the his building named after him so there was a lot of just uh, lights and, and encouragement around me um, due to the proximity and, and the decisions that I made academically to be in environments that I felt very supported and never really realized that I was entering into a male dominant field. Right. And out of A&T, I was actually recruited by the Air Force. They have something called the Palace Acquire Program. And that's where you come into a paid internship with the government and they actually get set you up with all of the trainings that you need to go from a GS7 which is like an entry more entry level type position and you work your way up to a GS11 mm -hmm. which was the starting point for uh your engineering types so I, I went through that program each year progressing 7911 and exited that program uh, working as a civil engineer for the Air Force. And I did that for 11 years. Uh, I actually left the, the government at the level of a GS-13. So I was a supervisory over our ops squadron. So I've touched everything from renovations, Milcon uh, or our new military construction. Uh, absolutely loved my time in planning and programming, which is our long range infrastructure planning. Um, and then just the day-to-day the -day engineering work, more so uh, as a project manager um, for, for the Air Force. Wow. Okay. So there's so much to unpack there, but I love when you talked about when you were, we were on that crossroads between going into a performing arts type field, because I think, you know, and going into a STEM school. And I think so many women do uh, get sort of get funneled into the performing arts. And if you have yes. some talent, if yes. you're good at it, it's even more tempting, right? Because everyone's mm -hmm. praising you and you get so, so much joy out of it. And I see, I see my daughter struggling with this actually right now as well. Wow. And yeah. so when you say that, you know, you had this, this piece of advice that you can, you can't be a dancer. Well, you can, no, you can be a dance, but what is that? Tell, repeat it. So, so you can be a, you can be a scientist that dances, mm -hmm. but you cannot be a dancer that can work on the body of work of, of, of a scientist. So essentially it's, it's pick, you have to pick a path, right. And to anyone who goes mm -hmm. into those more creative fields, you know, I, absolutely love it. We appreciate you. You, you completely uh, add to culture and our way of life and our quality of life. Mm -hmm. But for me specifically, yeah. I knew that I wanted to be a problem solver. I knew that I wanted to make a difference as it relates to um, how we push 
just our, our, not just our culture, but infrastructure forward? How can we um, be thoughtful about the environment? How can, and specifically for the Air Force, like how do we keep that mission going? Because our infrastructure was so important to allowing the mission to go forward. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think being a part of those bigger problems was its own version of being on a stage, right? Um, yeah, and, and I think- you can get the f- fulfillment from either way, but if anyone maybe is at that crossroad, I had that realization of, you know what, I needed to uh, sharpen my skill sets here. And then can I go lead a dance class? Absolutely. And did it right. <laughs> like, right. can I, can I um, work with younger kids on dance and the arts and, and now steam, cause it's not just STEM anymore. It's transitioned mm-hmm. to steam and they've added the arts yeah. in there. How can we talk about math and music and creativity and how they come together. Now we have, that's where innovation comes from. That's where those um, cross-disciplinary conversations happen. So I yeah. think there's something really special about those who have that 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 um, tension in going one way or the other, but I'm grateful to have had a foundation in STEM because it really makes a difference, not just in the career that I had with the Air Force, but even in what I do now. Yeah. Okay. So now you were, you said you were working with the Air Force, you're doing all kinds of project management and you were working as an engineer. Yeah. What, what made you then transition into something else? Tell us, walk us through that process. Yeah. And so for me, I think it it had a lot of different components uh, to it. So first off, as a civil engineer, if you look up some some recent stats, you'll see about 16% of women are in civil engineering. For project management, it's a little bit better, right? We're at 30 or 40%. And Mm -hmm. I I really was feeling that in my career growth. And partly due to the fact that I was a military spouse. So let me preface all of this with saying, if you are interested in working with the government, they absolutely need your talents um, in the Department of Defense. And I'm still an advocate for those to look at career fields uh, in that in that uh, direction. So, but for me personally, because I happen to fall in love with the most handsome Air Force (laughs) pilot, um, a lot of my career progression um, came with another crossroads, right? So because he was tied to an airframe, he flies the B-52. We have two primary locations where his airframe are. So that means career progression for me had to be tailored to where my family would reside uh, if I wanted to continue to grow within the Air Force, which I absolutely did, as opposed to going to private sector because I really believed in the mission that I was serving. So my transition out of GS um, world was more so out of me starting what I like to say my retirement job early. So I am the <laughs> daughter of a teacher. Um, she who also was a part-time florist when I was growing up. So she, I was always her little helping hands and she always took me along to set up for any uh, social celebrations, weddings, and things like that. And I absolutely loved the way you could bring joy to people through floral or through events and how we could really bring people together. And I mean, I saw this in my career as well. That's why we have these professional conferences. That's why we have these networking opportunities. Like 
it bringing people together really can change the person and all and also push us forward in directions and coming back with solutions to problems that you know in 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 a vacuum we didn't know we had the answers to so I say I started my retirement job early because Mm -hmm. um, after I had had my second child, we had three, um, I went back to work. I was naturally an overperformer. And as I was performing and and meeting, um, what I would say is I I was doing the job because I wasn't overperforming, taking on additional projects like I typically would do, (laughs) overcommitting myself. Um, I kind of got the finger wagged at me and, and was said that I was the blame for it because I had personally set the bar so high um, that I was now being punished for coming back and doing the job. And I think that caused a little resentment, if I'm honest. Um, and, and then that's when I actually gifted myself on my birthday an LLC of this events business because I knew I was a phenomenal uh, project manager. And I Mm -hmm. knew that I could transfer a lot of the skill sets that I had as a strategist, um, as with logistics, with timelines, with budget management, all the things Mm -hmm. that I do in my engineering world, they translated very easily over to uh, an events um, lane. And I didn't have the constraints of um, the specific licensures. I, I don't know if your audience is familiar, but that is a big push that we have going on for military spouses every time we move the licensing issues come up so that we can continue to work in our professional role so in an events realm I didn't have that constraint and I didn't really have the ceiling that I felt like was um I was bumping up against because I did feel like at the time that I was overlooked for promotions and um that really bothered me um which is which was the fuel to the fire for me to even start a side venture mm-hmm. I kept that side venture even after we moved we went to Minot North Dakota which was amazing when I tell you a tremendous acceleration at that particular um base um, I received a promotion back into a supervisory role, which I was really excited about. Um, and, and unfortunately, we got orders again to uh, to move within mm-hmm. 10 months time. So uh, anyone who is unfamiliar with that military life or military yeah. spouse life, it is very challenging to continue to um, progress in your career. It's not impossible, but it is challenging to progress in your career when your career path may be have may have opportunities, excuse me, in certain locations that you are not or mm-hmm. that you have to get pulled from. So I think for me, as we moved, I definitely continue to to seek out opportunities. However, during that time, because Sometimes the government's hiring process is slow. They do have direct hiring authority now, guys. So if you're interested, that may be a possibility where it's fast-tracked. But at the time, I was kind of sitting at home for six months, and I was like, hey, they say something's going to open up on base, but it it hasn't opened up yet. Um, I'm going to still, I looked at my husband, I said, I'm still going to work my business. The the little side hobby thing that I've kind of been tinkering with and had a couple of clients here and there, but not push too much because, you know, you want to have that balance and not overworking and overextending yourself in two areas. 
I continued to work that business and in six months time, I had a full client list where I was actually producing events for. And at that time I transitioned because I really love personal development. I love podcasts. Mm -hmm. I love speakers. So primarily I serve um, B2B versus someone who would do like uh, milestone celebrations and weddings. So I focused and niched in that area and saw tremendous results in my business. And I kind of looked at my husband and I was like, I think this is the season. And that was two years ago to go all in on this side venture. Have I bid engineering felt farewell completely? I don't think so. Um, I'm still open to consulting and you know, that's still something that I carry with me. And I still, like I say, I talk to youth and, and advocate in different areas because I do believe that that foundation that I had in STEM made way for the skill sets that I get to utilize now at a higher level, serving mm-hmm. professionals who are making a difference in people's lives. And I think that's the difference there. I used to work on runways, right? And, and do mm-hmm. the logistics and the planning as it related to infrastructure. And now I feel like I get the opportunity to cultivate and create experiences in a room that the materials have changed. And now it's more so working with people and impacting lives. And so the mission is different, but uh, the skill sets remain the same. And so you're working, you might have to pick up, so you're working with businesses where you are located, but then you might have to pick up and leave. So how do you, how does that work? Or you're just working so, with businesses? Yeah, every- no, that's a great question. I actually don't work with businesses where I'm located. Okay. Um, the beauty of technology and, and the benefits um, that 2020 and the pandemic kind of had it opened people's eyes to the reality that you don't necessarily have to be in the same location for the people who uh, yeah. you're working with and we can do things virtually. So a lot of the clientele that I work with um, primarily right now, they're in the personal development um, in the personal development field. They're top women in that industry, speakers, authors. And then I do have some um, like associations and things that Mm -hmm. we'll do um, retreats, conferences and seminars for, but they're not where I am. So currently I am in Louisiana, but maybe by the time your listeners hear this, we are (laughs) actually going to be moving to Alabama. So none of my clientele happen to be in these locations. Um, we, We work with people all across the world and have done international events as well. Um, so, so that is the benefit of this mobile career that I kind of created for myself. Yeah. But yeah, women are amazing. Women are amazing in that we are, able we are. To, <laughs> we create, you know, create whole careers for ourselves outside yes. of the box that was already um, created. And we, we talked to so many women who do this. And I think it's, you know, for a lot of us, we do have a family we do have children yes. um, and we're, tr- and we're trying to shape our career around that. Or maybe it's just because at the place where we were, we trained for and worked, we faced so much discrimination yeah. or, you know, we were overlooked for, for promotions. And so it causes us to want to create our own reality. And when, yeah. when people can do that, it's so inspiring. So thank you so much for sharing your journey with that. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you, cause I know I, I want to talk about your business a little bit. Sure. Um, we, you know, we, Many of our listeners have their own businesses or uh, they are working for organizations on the side, like maybe someone's in construction and she's a project manager, but then she also works at it. Maybe she works at the National Association of Women in Construction or, you know, as, as a, you know, just not works there, but maybe that's what she's involved with. And there's so many organizations like this, or maybe she runs her own. So 
how how are businesses, organizations, mm-hmm. and thought leaders, like you said, you work with, leaving money on the table by not hosting events or not successfully hosting them? Oh, such a good question. I I really am passionate about the power of events. And, and like I said, from early on, I noticed when you get people in the room, there, there can be some amazing things that happen. I love in-person events, but I still think you can tap into this a little, a little bit when being strategic in a mm-hmm. virtual setting as well. And one way that I, I would say that I find that people leave money on the table is let's say you do have a business, right? Are you cultivating these experiences where people are not just um, consumers or or buyers, but are you ensuring that you are creating longevity in that customer experience to where you are the go-to? There's a loyalty that is built Mm -hmm. in. And I think having those events cultivate that experience for consumers or for other organizations. There's something that happens in the room when you're able to talk about your mission and your message. Um, You can launch products, um, let them interact and engage with those things, um, showcases, um, bring about new findings for the industry and advancements that are that are uh, cutting edge technologies even when you are able to bring people together to get this information out, they will be your biggest advocates for the business, the service, or the product that you may have. And events is the way to do that because you see higher returns when you have uh, in-person sales or and conversion rates, 30 to 50% typically. Can you send an email out and say, yes, we have this new product? Sure, but I'll tell you the legs that come with you actually had bringing people in the room, sharing your expertise, sharing your new product or service. It, it, they will go and advocate for you, show video, share on their platforms, bring it to their organizations mm-hmm. a lot faster than you being the sole person trying to get your message uh, out. Can you give an example of when this has worked for, I don't know if any of your clients have allowed you to talk about them. Uh, about their experiences. I can but... be candid if I need to. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear about like, just an example of how this has worked for. Sure. So for example, I have um, one of my clients, she actually is a speaker and she has an author. She's, she's written a book. And um, one of the events that we are working on for her is what I'd like to call an enrollment event. And, and a lot of people um, think of events and, and there are different events. So let me back up a little bit. Oftentimes when you think of events and you think of like um, a, a conference, some of those are primarily informational, right? You come, mm-hmm. there are tracks, you can learn information from them. Some are social. They're more, let's network, let's get to know each other, let's build camaraderie within the organization. Enrollment events are framed differently. So for her as a thought leader, she's going to showcase her expertise over a couple of days. And then she is going to have a call to action at the end that invites people to her high ticket offer. Mm -hmm. Similarly, organizations and businesses should tailor and and strategically um, lay out their event to be more so enrollment events. Are you giving a call to action at the end of your event or somewhere within your event where you are asking people to opt in or say yes or purchase said item or equipment or fleet 
in the event, like you have already built them up to mm-hmm. this ask, you've given them the information, you, you've walked them through your culture, why you guys are a good fit, and then they feel good about making a buying decision in the room. That is an enrollment event, and that is how we are seeing more people become profitable from events as opposed to the other event models. Are informational conferences and things necessary? Absolutely. Again, that's the power of events. Are social Mm -hmm. events and team building powerful? Absolutely. They are. And we often do not see in industry as much enrollment events, which will be the most profitable style of event that you could have. Now, I'm just a little confused about because when I go to an event, I don't think, I don't stop and think, is this a networking event? Is this, a, you know, is this an information event? Yeah. So what, what exactly is it that sets apart an enrollment event? And are people aware that it is that when they're attending? So sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. I'm sure you've been to a lot of events and you're like, Hey, I, I don't know the difference between the two. And I think it's that what sets an enrollment event apart really is, um, is that call to action, really? So if there is an opportunity for you to say yes, so for example, let's say in an, an association, an association may put on an event where they're educating you on the benefits of being in the membership. They'll have some people come on stage who have been members that can showcase like how this community has benefited them. And, and then at the end of that, that day, they may say, and membership is open for you to now Mm-hmm. come in that is an enrollment event right that the yeah. por- the purpose of the event was to give that call to action and invite new members to to come into the event and i think when we can be more strategic with events and better position the the goal purpose and, and that and that strategy with events I think you'll see people have better returns because sometimes, if I may, events get a bad rap. You, A lot of people will talk about events are very costly and mm-hmm. that you can go in the hole for events. And all of that is true, but I would love to just bring people back, especially this audience, right? Bring people back to what is the purpose, right? Mm-hmm. What were the goals that were set for the event? This is why I love the fact that I'm able to do this from a project manager's uh, mindset because yeah. oftentimes we just think of an event as a good time and we're not being strategic about the outcomes that we want out of the event. How can we formulate the proper goals? Now say we're not selling a product. Say it's just, sure. um, you know, it's, it's an organization. Um, I'm thinking of all these different organizations that I work with that, that do fashion shows for women's yeah. um, protective equipment and safety boots. So these are organizations doing this, but what is their goal? It's to bring awareness, but how can they make it more of an enrollment situation? If, if everyone's there is already a member, say it's a member already. Oh, I love that. So I love that you identified awareness because I don't want to discount the goal being just profit. It's not always about profit. It could be a positioning goal and awareness is truly one of those that aligns with the positioning goal because awareness is a big thing to move the mission and agenda forward. But mm-hmm. for an organization like that, how can they make it an enrollment about event? Well, I, I actually have two thoughts on this. First, it doesn't necessarily have to be an enrollment event. One way that they can in, in, um, leverage the event to be more profitable is through aligned partnerships and sponsorships. Mm-hmm. So the goal there may be this fashion show, for example. Uh, yes, the goal outwardly to our audience is awareness. But as it relates for, to a B2B sense, is to find aligned partners 
who will contribute to getting visibility through this event. And then the margin of profit actually comes from those partnerships because they have gotten that visibility, because they have access to the emails that you send out, because they are in the PR and media features that you are uh, drumming up because of the event. So that is one strategy that I would probably utilize with something that is a little bit more social in nature or more awareness focused in nature is that sponsorship tie-in. But if you want it to truly make it an enrollment event, I think it starts with just determining what that call to action will be. Is it to say, so for a product like yours, like, is it to say that this, at this event, this is only where they'll, companies will be able to get, do bulk orders. Maybe that's something that you, that you don't allow on a regular basis, or they know like this particular product launches here and we want to be the first to get it. So we have to get it at that event. I think being thoughtful into how do you not just drop interest for the event, but how do you get people excited about the call to action? So they're coming with the intent to get that thing. So like I mentioned before we started, I'm actually on my way to uh, Virginia and I'll be attending an event and someone uh, who I also consider to be a mentor and I'll be watching how she uh, does her enrollment event in the room. And one of the things that she's done an amazing job and I would encourage this can be utilized for any organizations or business owners out there is in addition to her event, She was very thoughtful about educating people, whether it be through email sequences, whether it be through social media, um, videos and things about what she is positioning to to give as her call to action in the room. Mm -hmm. And what that does is with you educating your audience prior to them even getting in the room, now they're primed. Now they're ready to do whatever and take whatever that next step is. I don't, I I often like to say these next steps are typically high dollar next steps and the Mm -hmm. conversion rates in those rooms can range from 30% to 50%. So when done well, you are getting higher return on the effort that you are putting out from doing one event. Maybe it's just an annual event that you and your organization decide to do as opposed to these smaller little efforts that aren't getting you as far. Hmm. Okay. What is, so I saw this in your, in your show notes and I cannot resist this question. (laughs) (laughs) Number one reason most events are not successful. Ooh, yes. Most (laughs) events are not successful because they don't have a strategy. Okay. They don't have a strategy. And I think it's because, and I see this a lot in this event side where people get caught up on looking at looking left and looking right. Have you ever been driving and you see an accident and up ahead and cars are backed up and what is everybody doing? Everybody's rubbernecking. They're looking to see (laughs) what is happening at the accident, right? And I think it can be like that in the event space as well. People are too busy looking to see what something else has happened over there as opposed to being true to their mission, their message, what is aligned in for their industry. And they're not being strategic about what makes sense for them and -hmm. what makes sense for their bottom line. So most events are not successful because you have somebody that says, Hey, they had flowers at their event. Let's have flowers at our event. Why is it a requirement? (laughs) They fed people at their event. We should feed people. Why? Why? Because those are expensive. Those are expenses. You know, they had it at this hotel. Now there are benefits, right? The convenience of rooms and accessibility and all of those things. 
but could you have yours at a warehouse? Would it be more true to your brand mm -hmm. if you have it like on your property? Like, you, are you saving costs there? Are people mm. getting an authentic experience? Like I loved listening to the interview where you were talking with the, the young lady who worked for John Deere. And mm -hmm. I was just thinking like, oh yeah, I could, I could have so much fun working with John because I, they bring their, their uh, fleet and their equipment to these locations and showrooms, but have they considered doing it on site, on their property, right. say cost of transportation, of, of moving the equipment for these showcase. Like, have you brought people in, right? And, and they have, I have seen some of, some of the things that they do, but just thinking through the strategy of the event and being okay with being outside the box. I mean, heck, we're already women in non-traditional spaces. Let's push the envelope a little bit and get people mm -hmm. to think a little bit more outside of the box because that's where the beauty and the magic is. And you can see through events, more profitability. When you have that strategy, when you're following um, and being on purpose, I like to say we do, we do purposeful planning here. We're not mm -hmm. just planning for planning's sake, right? Uh, it has to be intentional. It has to be thoughtful. And it has to make sense to the bottom line and the goals that we are working towards. Because if we get our eyes taken away from the goals or the strategy that we are following, then yes, that that budget is going to be blown out of proportion. And then you're going to be left feeling like, yeah, we had a great time, but did we hit any of the, the things that we needed to hit on in this event? No. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you've got so many different amazing points. And I know you talk a lot about these also on your own podcast. Do you want to share about your podcast? Sure. I actually have the opportunity to be the host of the Epic Event Podcast there. I, Epic for us, when we talk about Epic Events, that's experiences with purpose, impact, and community. To me, that is the secret sauce to any events. And what I mean by that is experiences, uh, it goes beyond just the, the venue location. It's are you uh, being thoughtful about that first touch point because the event starts before people even get in the room um, all the way through to after the event. Are you getting uh, contact information? Did you get testimonials? Are you getting photo and video to help leverage and grow the event or the business, right? So building out a full experience that is really true to your event purpose. Like I said, everything has to be purposefully planned or you'll, you'll be gone astray really. And, and then you'll be feeling like you, this is, this is not worth the time and the energy, uh, and the effort that it takes to produce impact. I like to say that I love to work with impactful brands. And I feel like if you're going to have an event, there should be a bigger impact besides just building your bottom line. What are you doing to shift culture? What are you doing to move people forward, to improve the lives of others? Uh, impact is really big, especially as we're, we're thoughtful about the speakers and, and, and just how we, how we uh, organize and lay out and plan an event. Is it impactful to the people who are there and also the organization who's hosting it? And community is really big because I feel like we shouldn't do um, business or life alone. Um, that's actually a, a, something that I learned from another mentor of mine. And, and I love this idea of community because I feel like 
when you get in the room, when you come together, when we when we work through problems together, um, sky's the limit, right? We can we can do a lot of great things, and and I could say like the things that I've done in my career on an engineering side and even on the event side is because of the community and the people that I put myself around, and I think that is necessary and a, a thought that needs to be front of mind even as you are planning for your business, for your growth, and for an event. I love that. It's so true. I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing today without the community around me to be supporting yeah. me, just like we all support each other. And it's, that is one of the greatest things about a women in you know, non-traditional fields. And absolutely, fields. I feel like we really back each other. Um, where can our listeners find you, Bree? Yes, I would love for you to head on over to Be Carol Events on Instagram. That's typically where we like to play and hang out. Um, also, you can find more information about my uh, company at bcarolevents.com. Okay, Brie Carroll, founder and CEO of Be Carol Events and former a former military engineer for the Air Force, civil engineer. Thank That's you right. so much for joining us today. We, we learned a ton. And I know a lot of our listeners are going to want to learn more by listening to your podcast as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.